Hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast. This is Brandon. Appreciate you tuning in. Pray today's message will encourage you, inspire you, and that you would feel closer to the Lord after listening and whatever, maybe some answers or maybe some questions, whatever that you have uh, would come out of this time in Jesus' name. Well, Father, we just thank you for today. We thank you, God, for your word. And we're just thankful for who you are in our lives. Lord, I thank you so much for your mercy, your kindness, your grace, uh, your loving kindness, that you love us, that you embrace us, that you see us just where we're at. You accept, accept us just the way we are. And you love us in that place. And you always have uh, good things to say about us. And we are so thankful that, God, that you don't only um, just, you know, obviously point out the things that we need to address, but you also show us where we are uh, successful, where we're winning, where we're doing right, and that you get our eyes and our focus off of what the enemy would try to put our eyes and focus on and you get us to focus on you and we keep our eyes on you we look to you the author and the finisher of our faith we look to jesus who is uh, the bright one the shining one Uh, not only is he incredible in what he's taught and what he says but his very who he is is love is is pure is incredible the presence of god is so awesome and we just invite that presence even now to be upon this podcast. I pray, God, as people listen, they feel your anointing, your presence, your peace, uh, and that, God, they would walk away just at rest in their soul. And, God, that you would fulfill them. You say that you will perfect that which concerns us. And, Lord, whatever is concerning them, you would bring a peace, a resolve, and you would perfect it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, awesome. Let's go ahead and just jump into where we left off last week in the book of Acts. I believe uh, we ended chapter 8. We're going to jump into chapter 9. And this is the kind of the build-up to what I've been trying to get to with the Apostle Paul, who was Saul when uh, he met the Lord, but God completely changed his life. And how awesome, you know, the thing about change is it's so uncomfortable and so at times hard for us to do especially if we're in a rut or we're stuck in a a behavior that is hard for us to change you know working out whatever it is disciplines uh, they're very hard sometimes for people to break through to, to to make it a habit and there are times where we can you know we can do it we can do it on our own strength we can we can be diligent and faithful but then there's times where we need supernatural touch of heaven supernatural intervention and i'm i'm gonna tell you when god does it it's better than anything you know some people you get into relationships and the next thing you want to do is change people change the way they think you, you know people get in fights and arguments because they want to change marriages break up and fail because they're trying to change one another and you know we want so bad to try to pull our happiness and joy out of people and instead of pulling it from heaven or pulling it from our relationship with God, who, you know, he's awesome, he's unfallible, he's perfect. He doesn't have to change. It's us who have to change. And when we go to him, he's the one who's, you know, the potter, we're the clay. So he puts his hands where they need to go and it begins to form and fashion us into people, into the people that he's called us to be. And so many times people try to get into relationships and then begin to form and fashion people the way they want them to be. And it causes problems. It causes negativity. It causes actually sometimes even demonic assault because people get so bitter and angry because people won't change. And and because of that, things shift, things break, and they go in a direction that maybe God never intended. And uh, I just think that with the Lord, when when we're walking with Him, we're not in the in the business of trying to make people change. We're in the business of introducing people to Him, and then He's the one that does the work in them. And 
we have to be consistent in who we are, consistent in what we believe and consistent in what God is saying and love people, you know, pour into them, love them, accept them for who, who they are, but also speak the truth to them in love. And what that love is, is just a faithfulness to be there for them. You know, you don't have to partake. You don't have to be in in all the mix of what they're doing and, you know, manipulate and control everything they do and say. But what you can do is just be there. Be uh, a steady, I'm here for you if you need me. Hey, how you doing? Hey, you know, where you at over here? And I'm specifically talking to people who, you know, kind of maybe are sh- running from God or they're their focus isn't on the Lord and we're trying to reach them for Jesus. And sometimes people are hard. They're, they they don't want to have to deal with stuff in their life. So they end up turning away from people in their life. They turn away from uh, the path that God sets for them and they go their own direction. And that direction usually, you know, isn't a good one. But if we're faithful to pray, intercede and just be there, be faithful, just like God was with us, just like Jesus was with us to pursue us, to love on us, to accept us as we are, to be there for when we need, when we cry out. And uh, we just need to be that extension of God on the earth for people to see that God is alive. He's real in us, that we carry his presence, that we carry his peace, that when we speak into people's lives, there's actual atmospheric change that happens where people go from chaos and worry and stress to, to faith and security and peace, that they actually experience God by us being in their life, right? We're not trying to counsel them, get them, you know, uh, in some kind of worldly mentality, you know, some kind of formulaic way of doing it. Hey, you have to do the A, B, and C, and but there's no connection there. You know, that's that's just shallow. It's just shallow. It's shallow. You don't want people in your life to just be some sort of, uh, you know, look at me, I'm great, I'm better than you, so you need me in your life. No, you want the connection and the relationship and the actual desire to know you and to know them, that's thats relationship. To love people unconditionally, we need God. You have to have the agape, which is the unconditional love of God. He loves us. He sent his son for us. He, he did it all for us. And so we receive that this morning, God, for me. We receive your love, your unconditional love. You're not putting... Uh, walls in front of us. You're not uh, putting things to keep us out away from your love. You're actually wanting to break walls down and destroy things that stand in the way of your love. And God, I just pray, God, this morning, people would receive your love, that your love would be poured out over them, over their mind, over their heart, God, that they would experience how much you love them, God. And And it's not just a thought, it's a feeling, it's an encounter. It's a thing that wrecks us and sets us on the course of, of destiny and purpose that you have and that you've set from the beginning. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Well, awesome. Let's go ahead and uh, get into the word now. We're starting at Acts chapter 9. And this is about Paul's conversion, really Saul, right? So Saul, who is Paul, He's still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. So to give you a a kind of an idea of where Saul was before he became Paul, he was a vicious, relentless man. He had a mandate and his purpose and his what he felt like maybe even God was wanting him to do. He was wrong. He was actually full of murder, evil, hatred, bigotry, racism, whatever you want to call it. He was full of all of this guile and bitterness, and he was using it to go after a specific group of people, and they were called Christians. They were the believers of the day because they weren't the religious norm. They didn't think they were. There was a different mindset about the Messiah. Paul came up in this religious system and was very devout, very strong, very religious and thought he was awesome. But we're going to find out here how awesome he was when he meets Jesus because he was so wicked that he was actually joyful when when Christians were being murdered. He felt like he 
he was winning and his life was uh, fulfilled over taking these people and, and murdering them. And just to give you a little side note here, any religion that it finds its satisfaction in destroying what God created, murdering, uh, whether it's through radical Islam, uh, whatever other religions out there that would would demand the death of people because they're not good enough or they, they fail or they fall short is not God. It is a false God. It is a, is a demonic spirit. It's evil. It's wicked. God is a God of life and love. And in the Bible, when you saw people die and, and be destroyed by God because of his holiness, because of who he was, it was never out of a vindictive place of he wanted to just kill people to kill them. It was in this place of holiness in who he was, could not receive what was impure or which was you know, blemished or, or bad. So there was this whole system of rules and regulations that they had to meet to be acceptable to God because there were no, there was no sacrifice there for, for mankind's shortcomings. But because of Jesus, we now have an advocate. We have, we have a, uh, an intercessor that intercedes for us. We have somebody who stood in the gap for us so that now God's love is the thing that pursues. He is love. He's always been love. And that love is the thing that demands, um, you know, purity. That love is the thing that demands us to walk in the way that God has, God calls us to walk. And it, and before, the love of God wasn't, it couldn't empower us because we were stuck in this place of free, free will, right? Like we have a choice. But our free will was so tainted, it was so corrupt through sin. We were born into sin nature that it was almost impossible for man to be obedient and to love God. But because of what Christ did, we now have the ability to be full of the Holy Spirit who can produce in us the desire, the will, uh, the love to love God with the same love he poured out to us to experience this incredible um, God and to say yes to him because of who he is and, and how amazing he is and not because of some sort of rule and regulation that he places before you. Don't do this, right? Like, like re don't do all these rules and then God will love you. No, he loves you already and you can, he'll receive you just as you are. And now he says, please don't do these things because you love me back, right? Right. You love me, right? Right. So I want to love you, God. I want to worship you. I want to give my life to you. And even when we fail, even in our in our inability to obey the you know to the perfect uh, perfection of of what Jesus did, because of what Jesus did, we have this ability to come to God wherever we're at, whenever we fail. You know, this is the thing about sin. Like, what are you? We're going to sin, and then you're just going to keep on sinning. And and this is what religion does. Religion creates a a barrier that pushes people who are sinning away from God instead of bringing them closer to him because it says you can't God's not going to be there for you God's not going to do for you unless you're perfect unless you can do like me and you see a lot of ministers out there that are that way they're very um if if you're if you'll act like me if you'll talk like me if you'll be like me then God will love you like he loves me you'll be blessed like me you'll you'll walk around like me you'll smell like me you know it's like and even though there's a truth to like, hey, we want to follow, you know, ministers as they follow Christ. We're not trying to follow ministers as, you know, they create their own idea and own identity of who God is. And then it becomes this sort of like cultish idol, you know, idolatry where a man gets lifted up and it stops being about Jesus. And now it's all of a sudden about this man. Right. And we got to like look at whatever he's doing and saying and he's the man of the hour and he's basically Jesus on the earth. No. It's like Jesus is still Jesus in heaven and the Holy Spirit is in us on the earth to produce the fruits that Jesus um, has paid for by dying on the cross. So now we get the Holy Spirit. We get to have a relationship with God and we get to yield and surrender our will to his so that there's fruit produced. But all the glory goes to God. It doesn't go to us. 
We don't get to boast in our flesh and say, oh, look at how righteous I am because I do all these things. And then use that as some sort of badge to other people that we're better than them. Right? That that badge isn't should never push people away. It should always draw people in. So that people are experiencing and encountering the love of God, the acceptance of God. Right? And we put those rules of, hey, if you love God, then you need to pray. If you love God, you need to spend time with him. If you love God, if you're giving your life to Jesus, understand that it's not just a, a some kind of like, okay, hey, I'm going to give my life to God and then do what I want. No, you give your life to the Lord. Now you're learning what it means to sacrifice, to give, to die to self, to lay down your desires, right? Your desires for uh, sin, your desires for things when, when the flesh comes in and you know they're wrong. You actually have to wrestle with it, with those things and submit to God, resist the devil, and he flees. Submit to God, resist those carnal desires, and let the Holy Spirit come in and breathe on your life so that you would make decisions that would be pleasing to the Lord, that would produce good fruit in your life. And the standard will always and forever be Jesus. He's the one we look to. He is the ultimate standard. You cannot take a man who is made, uh, you know, just like everybody else and take them and exalt them up on a pedestal and say, this guy's going to be perfect and he's who we're going to follow because he's perfect. No, that's Jesus's place. That's Jesus's position. You can take a man and say, hey, this man knows God. He walks with the Lord and he has a relationship with him and he, he talks and, and looks like Jesus in the sense of his actions. But he's only there as a guide, as somebody who points you towards Jesus, points you towards a relationship with God. He's not there to become that in your life, right? He cannot take the seed of Christ. He cannot take the seed of the Holy Spirit. He cannot be God for you. And so many Christians miss out on a relationship with God and a relationship with other believers because they get offended at the guy, right? Or some, whoever it was in their life who was a religious leader, they did something, they fell, they, they didn't measure up, you know, they, they got caught slipping in some way and it gets exposed and then all these Christians get mad and then it becomes their excuse to go sin. Well, that just shows you how immature they are because you're not living for this minister. This minister isn't your God. Now, if Jesus came out to be a fraud and a chump and everything he said was a lie, then everybody's got an excuse to go, wow, this is a bunch of baloney. You know what I mean? I can do whatever I want. There is no sin. There is no God. This is all just a lie, right? And there's a lot of people that actually have that mindset. But when you believe that there's truth in the Bible, there's truth in who Jesus was, there's there's realities of the Old Testament, New, New Testament that come together and you see Jesus for who he is, really God, right? You see God for who he is and what he loves and what he hates and, and how he wants us to love each other, how he wants us to interact on the earth. And those things become exalted in our life. If you put a man on the pedestal, you're gonna, you're gonna just waiting for an excuse to backslide, waiting for an excuse to just turn away from God and go your own way because of some failure of a man in your life. Men will never measure up. They'll never come to uh, the fullness of who Jesus is until we all do that when, if it, when this whole thing's over, right? When the world ends, Jesus comes back, he returns, and we meet him in the sky, and we're transformed, and we all um, are in that heavenly place of, of, of no longer having these bodies, we will have heavenly bodies, which I don't want to get into because then people, it, you know, I'll lose people in that. And it's it sounds weird at times. It's like that. What do you mean we're going to have new bodies? So I just want to say that in this verse that we're in, where we're about to see Paul come into an encounter with Jesus, and it's going to change everything for him. So he's still uh, threatenings, murder. He wants Christians to be caught and just basically 
put into prison and ready for execution. And he goes to the high priest and he asked for letters of authority from him to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any men or women there belonging to the way, which is what it was called, right? The way, which is funny because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And basically anyone who who believed that Jesus was the Messiah, men and women alike, he could arrest them and bring them bound with chains to Jerusalem. So he's, he's basically like, I want a warrant for their arrest. Give me, the, give me the legal authority so that when I do this, I'm clean, but they're not. Give me the authority so that when I go out, I ain't gonna, ha- I'm, not, I'm considered righteous and they're going down. And as he traveled, he approached Damascus and suddenly, so here he is on his way. And all of a sudden, a light from heaven flashed around him, displaying the glory and majesty of Christ. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice from heaven saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting and oppressing me? And Saul said, Who are you, Lord? And he answered, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. So you see here, he has this supernatural, incredible encounter with God. And there are many, many stories like this over the years of people having these type of experiences. And I like right here where it says, a light from heaven flashed around him and in the amplified it says displaying the glory and majesty of christ let me tell you that right there is the key right or what whatever you want to call it it's the majesty and glory of jesus christ when you see him for who he is when you encounter who he is, I'm not talking about just like seeing a religious picture, seeing somebody, you know, somebody describe him in their their words. But when you encounter this living God who's alive, his glory, you feel it. Your whole body feels it. Your whole body trembles. There, There is something that happens to you where you know this is different from my everyday life. When I got saved... I received the message, but when I experienced Jesus, that, that and it was like a revelation of, oh, this is real, okay? When I look at churches and I look at this, the religious system and I look at men, it was hard for me to say, oh, this is real? It was more like, oh, this is, I don't know. This, this doesn't look, this, there's a lot of weirdos here. And not only that, but look at this guy over here. He says he loves God. And then look at him over here and he's busted. Oh, this guy over here, he, he thinks he's somebody great. Oh, months later or years later, you find out he's a fraud. It's like, come on, this is real? I don't think so. And the message of Jesus and me needing a savior, I could relate to that because I was a sinner and I was busted and I needed God, I needed something. And this message came into my heart. But when I experienced the reality of who he was, it wasn't a, this is real. It was a, oh my God, this is real. This is not only that, but everything else, the devil, demons, uh, the wickedness in the world that actually there's a source it comes from, the goodness of the world, the love in the world, there's a source and it comes from everything kind of just came and made sense. And I was lit. My whole perspective, everything, like if I was blind, I could now see. And it changed everything. It, it gave, I, my desires changed, my passion, the things I wanted to spend my time on changed, how I spent my money, who I wanted to spend my time with, um, which mostly was with Jesus, with the Bible. I completely was wrecked. And I believe that's what's happening right now with Paul or Saul, who becomes Paul, he sees and encounters, and then all of a sudden Jesus speaks to him. And let me tell you, when you hear the voice of God, when God speaks to you, you know, sometimes people hear God's voice and it's just directive or it's instructive and it's just kind of like this very simple thing. 
And I've, I've heard God's voice that way in my life, but then there's been times where I hear him speak to me as if it's like, like I'm his son. I'm, I am loved. I am adored. I am so important to him. And when he, when his voice penetrates my soul, I can't help but just begin to weep. I can't help but just to begin to feel the love of God on my life. I sometimes shake, whatever. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it other than it is the most beautiful experience that you could ever experience in your life is encountering the spirit of God. And when that spirit touches you and you get a revelation of his love and who he is and what he did and what he speaks, what he says has more weight. What he says has 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 like a all I can say is it's like a it's like a beautiful rainbow, right? Like it has visuals. It has it goes into your ears and you can it, 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 you come alive to it. There's no dullness to it. There's no, you're not weighed down and impressed by it. You're freed up. You're light. You feel lighter. You feel like you, you, you almost want to just say, if this is all real and I'm on earth, hey, I, let's just go to heaven because I want to be with you, right? Like, why am I on this earth? If the, you're so amazing, I just want to be with you. It's like, it's like you, I leave everything, God, to just come and be with you. And, it, and it's not like a religious thing. It's like a beautiful, incredible thing that, that my heart's desire would change from all this other stuff that I thought was cool and important and completely just say like, wow, Jesus, I want to be with you. I want to live my life for you. Whatever you have for me, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it, Lord. You're so awesome. You're so amazing. You're so good. And I believe Saul is here and he's, he's saying, uh, 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 who are you, Lord? <laughs> he like calls him Lord. And he answers, I'm Jesus. I'm the one you're persecuting. And he, and he gives him instructions. So what, at, in this moment, even though it's this super, I'm sh- pretty sure that's all it would take, right? It's just a supernatural like encounter, right? But he could have been like, man, I ate some bad figs or... <laughs> I don't know, maybe drank some bad wine, whatever they did back then. Maybe, maybe, uh, he, he had some, uh, mushrooms that he ate that weren't the, you know, the good mushroom, the, the actual ones that don't get you high, but he ate some mushrooms that now's all the rage, right? And he could have been like, oh, I just had some bad, some bad shrooms. I, I don't know what that, no, he was sober. He was going to a place and he had this encounter with Jesus. And because of that encounter and because of, and it doesn't go into detail here. And I believe the mystery of that is left for us to discover when we meet him, because it's like the most incredible thing that you'll ever experience. And that was the thing that said, I'll do whatever you say. I'll go wherever you want me to go. Hey, I was on this path. I was going this direction. Oh, but I just met this Jesus. Just like when they, you know, when he would come up to the the apostles and be like, hey, what y'all doing? Hey, come follow me, right? There had to be something about him to get people to say, okay, I'll leave my fishing. I'll leave my tax collecting. I'll leave whatever it, it is that the, you know, my identity in this world or in this job and I'm coming and I'm following you. I'm, I'm, and there's gotta be some exchange there where it was worth it for them to say yes to him and to leave behind the things that they were doing. So the men who were traveling with him, so he wasn't alone. He had people who were with him, were terrified and stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, but though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. I like this here because it it begins to go right into what what he sees right god is coming in and he's taking the natural and he's he's basically like saying hey i'm going to do something here with your eyes so your eyes can't see the natural because right now i'm opening something spiritual within you and if all you can see is the natural then that's going to come in and and dilute and pervert the spiritual that i want to open up in you so i believe there's a reason why now his he couldn't see he was blinded by not only because of who God was, but there was a purpose in this being blind, being blinded by the light. His eyes were open. He could see nothing. So they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. So even in this place, 
there were people around there to help Paul get to the destination that he had. And he was unable to see for three days and he neither ate nor drank. So he's fasting and he's he's in this place where it's just this encounter leaves such an impact on him that for three days he's just going to sit in this experience and totally be amazed but also be in this place of, you know, fear because I can't see, you know, when you go blind or you go deaf or something in your body starts to tweak, it it can bring anxiety and fear. So I'm sure Paul's dealing with these emotions of, oh my gosh, I can't see. I heard a voice. I was going to go kill these people. All of a sudden I had this supernatural encounter that shifted my direction. I met this, this Jesus who changed my life. And even in these three days, I bet he's weeping. I bet he's on his, in his heart, repenting, being like, Jesus, forgive me, Jesus, oh, how could I do this? And and God's forgiveness and his love just pouring out over Saul, literally transforming him into Paul. This encounter is taking and the anointing and the presence of God is transforming this man into another person. Now in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias and the Lord said to him in a vision. So here's another Christian just chilling and here he gets an assignment. Hey, has a vision, Ananias. He answered, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight. Like I pray in my life, God, I want, this is how I want to be led. I want to be in such a place with you that you would give me a vision, that you would speak to me and give me direction. I don't want to sit here and just be like in this place of worry and fret and fear over, oh, what's next? Or what's God going to do? And be in this you know, almost dysfunctional place of fear and anxiety over the future. But instead, I'm just, I'm waiting. What are your instructions? What are you saying? Speak, Lord. Speak, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Speak. And he gets his instructions. Get up and go to the street called Straight and ask at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying there. So we know that this is what Paul's doing. He's just in relationship and fellowship with God in this moment. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come in and place his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. So he literally is, he's already giving Paul the the vision of what Ananias is going to do as he's giving Ananias the instruction to go do it. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many people about this man, especially how much suffering and evil he has brought on your saints. So even more so, Here's now Ananias who knows who Saul is. Saul's a murderer. He's, he's like the guy out to kill him. He's the guy you don't want to go see. He's the guy you don't want to meet. You're telling me you want me to go meet this man and lay hands on him? He kills people. He's killing us. Is this really you, God? You know, like, God, you're telling me something that's crazy. And But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many people, especially how much suffering and evil has been brought on your saints, God, people at Jerusalem and here in Damascus. He has authority from the high priest to put us in chains. All who call on your name, confessing you as Savior. But the Lord answered him and said, Go, for this is a man that I have chosen, deliberately chosen, an instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the son of Israel, for I will make clear to him how much he must suffer and endure for my name's sake. So he's not only speaking to Ananias, but he's giving a prophetic word, a prophetic mandate, and a word that contains identity for Saul to become Paul. He's saying this man is chosen He's deliberately chosen, which, by the way, so are you listening, whoever you are. God has deliberately chosen you to be an instrument of his, to bear his name before the Gentiles, before sinners, before those who don't know him, before kings and the sons of Israel. For he will make you to be to know how much you must suffer for his name's sake. So there's not only a a you know, oh, it's all good and goosebumps and Holy Ghost thrills. No, there is a suffering that must take place, but it's not a suffering because of sin. It's a suffering because of righteousness, because you're in a world that Jesus said, hey, they hate me. They're going to hate you also. You know, anybody that loves you 
should love Jesus. You're not going to have somebody love you in the world, but then hate your God. It doesn't make any sense. If they love you, then they should love Jesus. You know, the, the mentality of the American church is that somehow if they're cool enough and they're they're like awesome enough that then God, right, then, then people are going to love God. No, they have to encounter Jesus. They have to experience who he is. And we can be a, a gateway to that, but we can't try to become some kind of watered down version of what Christianity is so that the world loves us and likes us. If they love us and like us, but there's no transformation in their life, then you're not, set, you're not giving them Christ. You're giving them a watered down version of what Christianity is because Christianity comes to transform and change and take people from darkness and put them into light. So we're not gonna convince people to love a God and then people just stay the same, love sin, love the things of the world and not transform who they are. Jesus comes in to transform us and to create us in his image, not the image of a person, the image of a, a movement, an image of a pastor, an image of a of whatever it is that, that you know, today, modern day Christianity tries to create these uh, pictures of what, like you can go down the line of all these different denominations. And this is what a Christian, this is what a Christian, this is what a Christian is. No, a Christian should look, not only look like Jesus, love like Jesus, but he should carry himself in a radical way, a way that actually um, not only brings conviction to the world because of the spirit of God, but actually calls them to come and be, to come to know Jesus, right? Not to come to know me and how cool I am and love me, but to know who my God is. In fact, like I said, Jesus said the world will hate you because it hated me. So there's an antichrist spirit in the world. If, if somebody has an antichrist spirit and they're clapping and applauding you and they don't get rid of the antichrist spirit, then something's wrong. They're not going to clap and applaud you if you're standing in the spirit of Christ because it's anti what the spirit of the world has. So they're going to eventually not like you because you're going to get to the heart of the issue in their life. And that heart issue is going to be the thing that rages against Jesus. Either that or it's going to break and it's going to yield and it's going to surrender. And it's going to come to the Lord as a sinner and be forgiven and redeemed. So the suffering that we encounter and Paul's going to encounter, even to the point of his, you know, martyrdom. But there was a... a thing in him that now changed. So all the people that he was working for ain't going to like him anymore. All the all the people that were for the murdering of the Christians, those they're all going to turn against him. In fact, there's stories of Paul being taken out and, and left for dead, beaten and left for dead. He was he's been whipped, he's been scourged, he he's been through so much pain, but yet something about that encounter with the glory and the majesty of God prepared him and gave him, it's worth it all, right? Like Jesus said, the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. There was a joy set before Paul of knowing Christ. There was a joy set before Paul of encountering the glory and the majesty of Jesus that gave him something to look through the pain and to, and to continue to push towards what, what God had for him, the assignment, the call that was on his life. So Ananias left and entered the house and he lay ha his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came to Damascus, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to proclaim Christ to both Jews and Gentiles. So here's the vision and everything that the Spirit was doing in supernaturally revealing to each of these men, it's all coming together and being fulfilled in a moment. And this is the gift of prophecy, the gift of whatever, the, the Holy Spirit's working through this man. And now he's going to get his eyesight back and he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's what? What's the reason for? To proclaim Christ. To co proclaim Christ Christ to Jews and Gentiles, to everyone. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes 
and he regained his sight. So Jesus blinded him. Then he comes with his man of God and opens his eyes and he's now full of the Holy Spirit. And from this moment on, he's no longer Saul, he's Paul. He is the redeemed, he's a Christian, He's, he's the, uh, the old has passed away, the new has come, the old creation, he's now a new creation in Christ. This is an example of that. Scripture fulfilled, Paul became a new creation. He was now born again, fully anew in Christ. And he ate finally and was strengthened. So the next uh, verse here, it says, for several days afterwards, Saul remained there with the disciples who were at Damascus, and immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogue, saying, this man is the Son of God. So here, all of a sudden, the guy who's murdering and killing and with vengeance and rage, several days, la la several days later, he is completely the 180 change of, hey, y'all, this Jesus is real he's real he didn't get it from the catholic church he didn't get it from the episcopal church he didn't get it from some denomination he got it from experience the majesty and the glory of god and then another minister who came alongside him who god connected him with began to minister to him and and probably i believe there was some discipleship going on here in paul's time as he comes to the lord and Ananias, I believe, was one of those uh, mentors or those men of God in his life that he got to ask questions, got to spend time with. You know, they're sitting there, they're drinking their coffee, whatever it is, and they're just talking about Jesus. And Ananias is just speaking about the mysteries and the, and the things of God to Paul. And Paul's explaining his encounter. And they're both just there, just full of Christ, just full of the love. And Jesus is right there in the midst of them as they're having these conversations. And Paul's heart is falling deeper and deeper in love with the man Jesus and the mandate from heaven. Why? Because Jesus isn't just this cool guy who came to the earth. No, he is God. He is God. He created it all. He created us. He is our Abba Father. He is the one who, when we pray to gets all the glory. He's the one when we pray to answers our prayers. He's the one who gets our adoration because of he's he's awesome. I can't I can't put it in, into words enough that he is incredible. And when you meet him, all the religious stuff, it makes sense, right? You're like, "Oh, I get it now." It's just men. It's men who are busted. All the people who try try their best, you know? And even in our own life, you're going to try your best, but you're going to fail. But you have this relationship that cannot be broken, cannot be, uh, what do you call it, ridiculed. Uh, there's no there's no judge panel with numbers after you perform for God that now you're going to hold up and say, oh, 9.5, 10.10. You know, that's God's job at the end of it all when you stand before him. He's the one who's going to bring uh, judgment. He's the one who's going to see and you're going to see your heart and he's going to re reveal the truth of where what you did and who you are and how you lived your life and if you took this thing that he gave you and that you were a good steward with it that's not man's job that's god's job we can create systems we can create accountability we can create things that help people stay the course we can be people that help people stay the course like an Ananias. We can be somebody like a Paul who, who you know, has such a passion that he bursts all this scripture that God, you know, uh, we believe stamps as the inerrant word of God that it is pure and holy. So we see after, he, after all this experience, he immediately, right? He didn't have to go to seminary. He didn't have to go to some college. He didn't have to go through all the hoop, hoops and all the religious junk. He already done all that to become a religious Pharisee or whatever he was, Sadducee. He already went through all the stuff at birth, but no, to become a Christian, all he had to do was meet an awesome God and have an encounter. That encounter qualified him to end the infilling of the Holy Spirit to immediately go and proclaim Jesus in the very places that he was wanting to murder the, the Christians that he was going after. Now he is one 
and he's preaching. This man is the son of God, the promised Messiah. All those who heard him continued to be amazed and said, is this not the man who in Jerusalem attacked those who called on this name of Jesus and had come here to Damascus for the express purpose of bringing them bound with chains before the chief priests? But Saul increased in strength more and more and continued to perplex the Jews who lived in Damascus by examining theological evidence and proving with scripture that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed. So it wasn't just the encounter he had. He was able to bring scriptures and bring evidence from the Bible, from their Torah, that this is the Messiah. So it wasn't just, hey, guys, I mean, I I think it would be enough for me to see a guy who was murdering Christians that then all of a sudden saying something, oh, this is real, that that would catch my attention. Seeing the countenance and the difference of who of who he was, I would, I would definitely be like, whoa, what just happened here? This dude was a totally different dude, and now look at him. And after considerable time had passed, about three years or so, the Jews plotted together to kill him. So here, here's that religious spirit. Here's that old devil, right? The spirit of the world, that religious ugly thing that comes in and they're plotting, plotting. How can we, how can we get him to stop? We want him to shut his mouth. He's going to ruin all of our, you know, it's, it's like, that's exactly what religion does. That's what people who don't have a relationship with God are like. They're, they're, they're shady. They're, they're plotting on how can they, how can they take out and, and ridicule another man of God who, who's who's maybe fallen or whatever they want to they want to you know they just want people to to like be crucified that's what the spirit of the world does is it wants to crucify and murder the righteous um and after a considerable time passed about three years or so the jews plotted together to kill him but their plot became known to saul they were also watching the city's gates day and night so they could kill him But his disciples took him at night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. So he's three years. He's preaching in the Senate. He's preaching Jesus. He's taking the scripture. And now the very ones he was standing with to kill Christians, they're like, we got to take this guy out. We got to destroy and kill this man. So I'm telling you, you can't be cool enough for people to get saved. You can't be cool enough for the world to love you to now, okay, they're going to give their life to Jesus. Why? Because if that was the case, all these guys would be saved. All these guys that are now wanting to kill Paul would have, would have gotten saved. But they didn't. Why? Because they're religious. Their hearts are hard. They're full of evil. They're full of wickedness. And to come to Christ, you have to have a heart that's pure. You can't hold on to wickedness and love wickedness and love evil and then say you love God. It doesn't work. In fact, you'll hate God if you love evil. You'll start to hate him. You'll start to, you'll, you'll, you'll grind your teeth. This is what these guys are doing. Paul's this radical believer. He's preaching the truth. And you think if Paul was cool enough, right? Oh, this guy was cool enough. All these, all these religious guys would have just loved him. And oh, wow, you're, Wow, you're so cool, Paul. I want to be a Christian now. Yeah. Oh, you're so cool. But yet they're still being shady and doing doing dirt. No, when you come to Jesus, you come and you give your life and you have to surrender all and everything. It doesn't it doesn't come like halfway, right? No, you you give it all to him. That's how you know people have encountered the Lord. Right? You're not going to win them over by being cool. In fact, if you have a bunch of the world thinking you're cool, there's something wrong with your Christianity. They should either be converted and and know Jesus and come and want to give their life to him and not stand on the outside just going, wow, that's a cool guy who loves God, right? Let's applaud the guy who loves God. Let's give him a clap. But yet in their heart, there's wickedness, there's sin. They're not redeemed. They haven't given their life to the Lord. That's actually false uh, doctrine and religion. That's what the Pharisees had. They acted like they knew God, but in their heart and at the core of who they were, they weren't surrendered and loving and in a relationship with him. And that's what God wants. He doesn't want us to be religious. He doesn't want us to join some cult. He wants us to have a relationship with him. And that can happen anywhere at any time. You can meet him. You can give your life to him. You can encounter him. 
You can say yes to him. You can repent and you can say, God, I want you in my life. I love you. And then he'll bring people and he'll send you places where there are people with the same heart so that you can have that what you need in relationship with him and be discipled and be loved on and be encouraged. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit. I thank you, God, that you're not a God who's mocked, that you're not a God who's just uh, playing it safe in this life. But God, you are alive and that, God, you're real and that you have a heart and your heart speaks. And men have a choice to either say yes to you or to say no. And they're not saying yes to, to me. They're not saying yes to a man, to a minister who's, who's cool enough for them and who they can like and, and warm up to. No, they're saying yes to a God who loves them and yes to a God who, who, who died for them and gave it all for them so that they could come and to have a relationship with you. Lord, I thank you for that. I ask God that anyone who's listening, God, that that relationship would increase, that that time with you would increase, God, that whoever they're preaching to, God, that they would encounter you, the living God, that God, it's not just about speaking a message, but that message goes with those people who hear and they have a choice to make, to surrender to you, to give their life to you, to weep, to break before you, to experience your majesty and your glory and who you are. So when he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. So here's some persecution for Paul from the disciples because, and not really persecution, but probably more of a, uh, just a fear because they thought he was, he was the guy who was killing him. So they're like, is this guy really saved? Is he, is he undercover? Is he acting like he's saved, but he's just going to arrest us all and, you know, throw us in jail. He's an undercover, uh, religious zealot who's coming in. Uh, to to find out where all these guys are, you know, are they, and then arrest them all and throw them in prison. However, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how Saul had seen. So his his testimony is being uh, described and told to all the disciples how Saul had seen the Lord on the road to Damascus and how he had spoken to him and how at Damascus Saul had preached openly and spoken confidently in the name of Jesus. So he's got three years of of living for Christ under his belt in in this place preaching and and how they wanted to kill him so here here's the here's some of the evidence <laughs> of a real christian did the world want to throw you out into and, and kill you because you were speaking the truth right paul had to leave because they wanted to murder him because he was preaching the truth so he was with them moving around freely as as one among them in jerusalem speaking out boldly in the name of the lord he was talking and arguing with the Hellenists, Greek-speaking Jews, but they were attempting to kill him. So now you got other people trying to kill him. Here's more, more people trying to kill him. I mean, oh my gosh, what's wrong with Paul? He must not be doing it right. If, if you love Jesus, then people should love you. You should be, you should be so um, awesome and everyone should applaud you. And you're so great. No, they wanted to kill him. When the brothers found out about the plot, they brought him to Caesarea Martima and sent him off to Tarsus, his hometown. So the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace without persecution. Being built up in wisdom and virtue and faith and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort and encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it continued to grow in numbers. So we're going to stop right here. But I just want to hit this, this point of you know, you're not going to you're not going to love God and worship him and have a relationship with him and not make some people upset. You're not going to be close to him and not have people hate you, ridicule you, you know, even religious people. You know, the the church system is so busted that it's it's like this. Like you think that if you can be kind enough and nice enough, like do you not think that that's who Christ was? Like the example of Jesus was he lived and then they, they crucified him. He was healing. He was delivering people. But you want to know what else he was doing is he was speaking truth. And it was in love. And they still murdered him. They still crucified him. In fact, majority of the disciples were murdered and martyred because of who Christ was in them. 
because of the spirit of God. And there is a spirit in this world that does not want God to be who God is. They want a a, a different version, a watered down version, a version that's palatable, a version uh, that, 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 oh, it's feel good and it it, it doesn't offend. It doesn't deal with the, the real issues in life. It's a watered down version of the gospel and it produces a watered down result in the Christian's life. And then they say, oh, I'm a Christian, but they never are radical. They don't they don't embrace the pain. They don't re- embrace the, the rejection. No, they have to go get counseling. They have to go sit and have a therapist talk to them. It's garbage. It's watered down Christianity. And I don't think God is in heaven going, yay, and applauding. No, he's going, come on, where are my where are my radical ones? Where are the ones who have encountered Jesus? Jesus laid it all down. He embraced the pain, the pain of life, the pain of of not only dealing with man's sin and the rejection of men, but he dealt with the pain of the innocence of it all. Of I didn't do anything. I don't deserve this. But he embraced it. And Jesus spoke the truth. I'm not talking about religion, going out and bashing people over the head with the Bible, and then that's why they get pissed off at you. I'm talking about you going out in love and preaching the truth of God's word and being an awesome man of God and loving people and they still hate you and they still talk about you and they still ridicule you. Why? Because they don't love God. Because they don't want him in their life. They're not asking him to come in their life. They want their sin. They love the world. They, you know, There's a scripture in, in John and I shared this, I believe, a couple ones ago where it talks about how John 3, 6, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is the condemnation, right? That with God didn't uh, send his son to condemn the world. But then if you keep reading, it says this is the condemnation that men love darkness rather than light. And, and so many ministers will just read John three sixteen, John three seventeen, and then they don't read the rest of it. And it's like, God, there's more of the Bible than just one verse. Read the rest and actually get the revelation of what it's saying. It's saying men will love evil more than God and it will be the condemnation. It'll be the thing that judges them because they, they're not really wanting a relationship with their creator and their maker. They're wanting a relationship with sin and with their evil deeds. Father, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for your word. I pray, God, that you would go into the heart of men and that you would reveal to them not only their desire for you, that that would grow, but God, that that they would realize that there is an ungodly, uh, a, a carnal nature that tries to vie and contend for their love, for their affection, for their worth. And it tries to get them distracted from who you are, from 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 whose they are and God who created them and who loves them and and the reason why they're on the earth isn't for their own reason and for their pleasure and for what they want but it's for yours and God I pray that that truth would go out I pray that would be the gospel we preach I pray that would be the Jesus we proclaim that it would be the Jesus of the Bible it wouldn't be the Jesus of the culture of the day it wouldn't be the Jesus of the religious systems of the Catholic Church whatever the, the church of 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 boring watered down version where people are sleeping in the pews Lord I pray for awakening a revival Holy Spirit fire truth to come out people would encounter you left and right, experiencing your glory and majesty, how amazing and awesome you are. And it would be the thing that would cause them to change, to become more and more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, it's good, baby.